You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Compromise is one of the Christian's deadliest enemies, and it is a danger that confronts each and every one of us. It's clever, it's subtle, it's seductive, and it's highly deadly. It is one of the most effective tools Satan uses against us. Why? Because he cannot usually convince a Satan to go out and commit a horrendous sin. Oh, that's too easy. I can't do that. We know that. But what he does is... He convinces us to lower our guard. Are there any areas of your life that Satan has tempted you to compromise on? In today's message, Pastor Dave teaches that Satan loves to convince us to compromise. All it takes is you giving him an inch for him to take a foot. Don't let him fool you into compromise. It'll only lead you down a path of habitual sin. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 7 as he continues his message. The house that Solomon built. Jashim and Boaz. It's really interesting because Jashim means he will establish. And Boaz means in him is strength. So not only were these pillars huge, they gave them names. I like that. Now, some believe that these two pillars were representative of the twin pillars that followed them on the Exodus. The pillar of fire and the pillar of the cloud. So that's what they thought that they represented fire by night, and the cloud during the day. Every time someone came into the house of the Lord in the days of Solomon, they said, look, there's he shall establish. And look, in him is our strength. Pretty cool when you think about it, because what it did was, as they walked in there, they saw he shall establish and in him is strength. And it kind of put them in a frame to go into worship the Lord. They kind of put them in the framework to go in the worship of the Lord. And I like that. I really, I got a lot out of that. When the crowds gathered in the morning and the evening for worship, the Levites led the people and they would stand in front of these pillars. And these giant monster pillars would be behind them. And it was pretty cool. It was always there. He shall establish and in him is strength. And one commentator said this, quote, One could say that the house of God itself was Jacob and Boaz. The temple was established by God and built by the strength of God. Every time they looked at the temple, they knew that God liked to establish and strengthen things, unquote. I like that. The house of God, where a place where people experienced what the pillars were all about. They experienced the foundation and establishment of God. They experienced God's strength among them. And they saw that every time they came in to the house of God. The house of God where people were given the Lord's strength. From this building, it should go out to the whole community. Come here, get established. Come here and receive the strength of God. Now, hold on, we're going to read 23 through 52. Hold on tight, we're going around a corner, all right? Here we go, here we go. And 23, and he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits, 
from one brim to another, it was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around, ten to a cubit. All the way around the sea, the ornamental buds were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking towards the west, three looking towards the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was the hand breadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like the lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. He also made 10 carts of bronze. Four cubits was the length of each cart, four cubits its width, and three cubits its height. And this was the design of the carts. They had panels, and the panels were between frames. On the panels there were between the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. Oh, my. And on the frames was a pedestal on top. Below the lions and the oxen were wreaths of plated work. Every cart had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze. Do you get a picture here of some mighty work? My goodness. My goodness, the work here is incredible. Under the laver were supports for cast bronze beside each wreath. Its opening inside the crown at the top was one cubit in diameter, and the opening was round, shaped like a pedestal, one and a half cubits in outside diameter. And also on the opening were engravings, but the panels were square, not round. Under the panels were four wheels, and the axles of the wheels were joined to the cart. The height of the wheel was one and a half cubits. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their axle pins, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast of bronze. This is amazing. This is no less than amazing. And there were four supports at the four corners of each card. Its supports were part of the card itself. On the top of the card, at the height of the half of cubit, it was perfectly round. And on the top of the card, its flanges and its panels were the same casting. On the plates of the flanges and on its panels, he engraved cherubim, lions, and palm trees, wherever there was a clear space of each with wreaths all around. Thus he made ten carts. All of them were the same mold, one measure and one shape. Then he made ten lavers of bronze. Each laver contained forty baths, and each laver was four cubits. On each of the ten carts was a laver, and he put five carts on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. He set the sea on the right side of the house toward the southeast. Huram made the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. Huram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowl-shaped capitals were on the top of pillars, and two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, which were on the top of the pillars. 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the top of the pillars, the ten carts, the ten lavers on the carts, one sea and the twelve oxen under the sea, the pots, the shovels, the bowls, all these articles which Huram made for King Solomon for the house of the Lord were furnished bronze. I want to stop there for one second because I need to take a breath. But anyhow, it says that in the plain of Jordan, the king had them casting clay molds between Sukkoth and Zeratan. Let me tell you something. When I taught metal shop, we would make castings, and they fit together. 
and you would take a, a mold and you have two parts to the mold. You would put one part in one mold and you would pound the sand on there and pack the sand all around them. Then you would flip it over, you put the mold on top, put the other flask on top and you'd pound sand around there like that, putting holes in there. Then you would take that giant flask, you would put it by a furnace, you would put pieces of bronze in the furnace and you would take them after they've melted. Bronze melts at an enormous amount of degrees. I think it's like 1,500 or so, maybe more Fahrenheit. You would take that bronze, scrape off the slag. Remember, we talked about the dross. Slape off the slag, and then you would pour that into the mold. And it would fill in the entire mold, and it would come up. One was called the sprue, one was called the riser. You poured it into the sprue, filled the mold, and it would come up the riser. When it came up the riser, you knew it was finished. Then it would cool. Then you had to kick it out. You had to pound all that dirt out, and what you had left was a casting, a very, very rough casting. And then you had to cut off the sprue and the risers, and you had to shine everything up. Can you imagine doing that for this? All of this was done by casting bronze. Imagine the work that was involved in doing this. My goodness. I remember what it took for us to make molds this big out of bronze. It was an incredible process. And this just floors me to think that they did this and they used clay as their casting agents. Incredible, incredible things. Incredible done back in this day and age. Incredible. Incredible. I just had to stop there for a minute. In verse 47, we pick it up. It says, Then Solomon did not weigh all the articles because there were so many, I guess. The weight of the bronze could not be determined. I guess not. Another thing about bronze is it's very heavy. It's a very heavy material. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord and the altar of gold, the table of gold on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left in front, and the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, the hinges of gold, both for the doors on the inner room and the most holy place, and all the doors of the main hall in the temple. They had to be made the same way, but only now you're talking gold. You're talking melting gold and pouring those into castings. This is amazing. Go back to the beginning. This huge laver, this huge laver that they had was a bronze tank. It was seven and a half feet high, and it was more than 15 feet across and 15 feet across with a 45-foot circumference. Monstrous. There were 12 bronze oxen supporting this massive laver. It held 14,000 gallons of water. What was it used for? The priests would ceremonially wash their hands after they sacrificed. They were constantly ceremonially washing their hands. And washing was extremely important. They had to wash their hands before the sacrifice. They had to wash their hands after the sacrifice. Every time they changed an implement, it had to be washed and ceremonially cleansed. This water was so important. It was extremely important. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 4, verse 10. In addition, there were 10 portable tanks, and they were six square feet that held another 250 gallons of water. And these tanks had wheels on them so they could move them anywhere they wanted to. 
One commentator said this, quote, The brass laver in the tabernacle that preceded this laver was made from mirrors in Egypt carried out by the women in the Exodus. And they said, The image is perfect because we are cleansed by the water of the word, which is likened to a mirror in James 1.23. I like that. I like that. I like that. So you see, this was no small task. And what I'm getting at is, Supposedly, the whole temple was finished in seven years. I can't imagine the work that went into doing this and the amount of people. Well, we read last week about the thousands and thousands of people who were working on this. You want to know more about this and more how it is you look at the tabernacle and you look at the temple and they're very, very similar. There's a lot of symbolism about Jesus Christ in here. A lot of symbolism about Jesus Christ. We didn't take the time to go through it or we would be looking at it for the next 10, 15 weeks. In verse 51, it says, So all the work that King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Solomon brings all these things in. He puts them in the furnishings there. He puts them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. All these great works of art and articles of great value were placed in the temple. And this is one of the things that made the temple so enamored by others to want to come and rob. A lot of the outsiding areas wanted to come in and get all this gold and silver and bronze. They wanted to take it because it was extremely valuable. It was extremely valuable, all the things that they had. Solomon followed God's plans to a T. He spared no expense. He was giving God's its best. But where I went with this, at the end, there wasn't a lot of time to go into the depth of all the things. And You need to read the book of Exodus to discover the workings of the tabernacle. But as I said, Solomon was at the pinnacle of his relationship with the Lord. If he had only stayed there, But sadly, like I said, in seven chapters, he's going to turn his heart away from the Lord. And it began with a compromise. It begins with a compromise. Solomon starts to think that he's politically shrewd. He thinks he's politically shrewd. And we read in chapter 3 where he went and he made a pact with Pharaoh of Egypt. And he took Pharaoh's daughter as wife. All right? Well, that's the first bad move. Because we're told in Deuteronomy 17 that they weren't supposed to collect wives, especially from Egypt. And they weren't supposed to collect horses or chariots. And we know that Solomon started to do everything. Because of his political shrewdness, because he thought he was better than everything, he started making all these pacts with all these foreign countries. And every time he made a pact with the king, he'd take another daughter for a wife. And you'd end up with thousands of them. It was directly against God's law. Directly against God's law. And I got to thinking about this. Compromise. Compromise is one of our, as Christians, deadliest enemies. Compromise is one of the Christians' deadliest enemies, and it is a danger that confronts each and every one of us. It's clever. It's subtle. It's seductive. And it's highly deadly. It is one of the most effective tools Satan uses against us. Why? Because he cannot usually convince a Satan to go out and commit a horrendous sin. Oh, that's too easy. I can't do that. We know that. But what he does is he convinces us to lower our guard, lower our standards a little bit, and to accept a little bit of this and to accept a little bit of that. He gets us to lower our standards, and then all of a sudden we fall headlong into a pattern of sin. 
We drop our standards a notch or two, and, and, and all of a sudden our integrity is impaired. Our character is endangered. And most of all, our relationship with God is damaged. We start compromising a little bit here and there. Compromise sneaks up on you. It doesn't happen all at once. Well, you give in a little bit to temptation. And, you know, you just give in a little bit, and all of a sudden it snowballs. It's like that little snowball on the hill that you used to make, and you start to roll it down, and by the time it gets down the hill, it's this big. That's how compromise is. It starts with just a little thing on your part, a little give in. Uh, you know, I'm sitting around the guys, they're telling the dirty jokes. What's so fun? Well, I know a couple of dirty jokes. Maybe I'll tell one or two. It just starts with something so subtle. So what you think is innocent. You've heard the old story, if you place a frog in water and turn the stove on, the frog will sit there until all of a sudden he realizes he's boiling to death, but he never jumps out. That's compromise. That's compromise. It starts in our life, and it starts to seep into our life, and it gets into our life, and pretty soon it is massive, and we don't know where it came from. And I always say this. I say this constantly. We get to that point, and the first words out of our mouth is, how did I get here? How did I get here? Never started out to become this addict. I never started out to be an addict. I just took a little toke. I never started to be an addict. Everybody else was doing it. I thought it looked like it was fun. I didn't know it was going to turn into this. They have drugs nowadays that all it takes is one hit. And you could be hooked one time. If we go back to what we first talk about and seek the kingdom first, stay close to the Lord, being established by his word, being on a firm foundation of Jesus Christ, not leaning to the left nor leaning to the right, but focus on the Lord. And you're going to look at me and go, but Dave, that is so hard and I will agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, but where can we go? He has the words of life. If you don't like the words of life, where are you going to go? If they're not the words of life, you're going to be eating words of death. Where are we going to go? You know, Paul speaks about leaven in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. He says, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole loaf. And, and leaven was the sourdough little thing that they used to make the bread rise. And the leaven got in there and it made everything. Well, leaven always represents sin. Leaven always represents sin. That's why Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. He wasn't talking about their bread-making skills. He was talking about their sin. He was talking about their legalism. He was talking about those things that they wanted you to do. He was saying, beware of that. Beware of that leaven. Because all it takes is a little bit of leaven, and you put it in there, and the thing blows up. Well, leaven is compromise. Leaven is compromised. We compromise a little bit, just a tiny bit. And the next thing you know, we're head blown into sin. And we went over where it came from. It's a classic picture. We tolerate it. Just a little evil. I can handle it. I can go into the bar and witness. I can hang out with my druggies and witness. I can go to the casino and play a few slot machines and witness to the person sitting next to me. Yeah. No, you can't. Because it starts a pattern. It starts a pattern, and then the next thing you know, you're in a free fall. You're in a giant free fall. How did I get here? Well, praise God we have an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God we can turn at any minute and cry out to him, Lord, save me. Lord, I come back to you. I repent. I confess. I messed up royally. Save me. 
Praise God we have someone like that. In the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Passover go hand in hand. Before the Feast of Passover, what the Jewish ladies do is they go through the house and they clear the leaven out. They're getting rid of the leaven. It's a picture of getting rid of the sin in the house. It's a picture of getting rid of the sin, all of it. The church should be aware of that. We should remove those things who are notorious in our lives, those things that cause us to sin. We should remove all the leaven in our lives. We should remove those things that lead us to sin. If the TV leads you to sin, turn it off. It's so simple. One of the greatest movies in the whole wide world is Fireproof. And when he's caught in pornography, he's constantly looking at pornography on his computer. And when he finally realizes that, that that computer is causing him to sin, and he takes that bad boy outside, and he beats the snot out of it with a baseball bat. That's what Jesus was saying when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's what he's saying. Get rid of it. If you have a phone that does everything but bark, and you can't handle that phone because it constantly causes you to sin, get a flip phone. For heaven's sakes, get a rotary phone. But there are ways. We tease ourselves, and then we're always praying. I heard Mark pray the other day, something about the cage of our mouth. My tongue has a cage. See it? That's my cage of my tongue. Mm. If my eye starts to sin, I have a little bit of the cage of my eyes. I can close them. God has given us a way out. God has given us a way back. If we would but take it and we would go with it. Say what you will and think what you will. It doesn't bother me. This is important stuff. If you want to draw close to God, these things have to go. These things have to get out of your life. They have to move. Or you'll be down the pike wondering how you got there, saying, I don't know what I did. or how I... And you think back, oh, wait a minute, maybe it was that. That one time where I gave in. That one time where I lowered my defenses, I lowered my shield, and the fiery dart got me. Christ is our Passover. Christ died on a cross for our sins. Christ has taken away our sin, and he's taken away the sin of the world. He's paid for every single sin. There's not a single sin that you've committed or that you can think of that he has not bled on the cross and died for except the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means not accepting him as Savior. It's the only sin. You can't think of a sin that he didn't hang on that cross for. We need to not only get the leaven out of our lives, but we need to keep the compromise from coming in. We're clean in Christ. Remember what he said to Peter? You're clean. Only your feet touch the earth. You're clean. We're clean because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we do get dirty now and then. From the world, the defilement, we have to come back and confess. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are sure.
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of 1 Kings. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for times and directions. And if you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 Kings. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from 1 Kings. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and tune in next time on A Sure Hope.